Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made, and I wish that I could talk to me and tell me I can change. Don't be afraid, just walk with your Welcome to Blog Talk Radio Safe Recovery. This is Monica Richardson, and I am your host. Today is August 30th, 2016, and I just thought I would do a quick show, a 30-minute show, about just what's on your mind, what's going on. And um, we'll do some, people can call in later at the 818-475-9211. But first, I would just like to talk about some news, some things that reporters are writing about Okay, so this one is in Bloomberg, uh, not a small paper, uh, written by Justin Bachman, B-A-C-H-M-A-N, Why United Skies Aren't Full of Drunk Pilots. The few suspected of being inebriated may make headlines, but they're the exception in a world of rigorous screening. Work on or anywhere near a U.S. commercial aircraft, and chances are good you'll encounter a random drug or alcohol test. These screenings are the foundation of a risk program aimed at keeping substance abuse from compromising air safety. It doesn't always work, which makes for a minor fur when whenever allegedly inebriated crew members turn up. On Saturday, police in Scotland arrested two United Continental Holdings, Inc. pilots on suspicion of being drunk before their 9 a.m. flight to Newark Liberty International Airport. The incident came about a month after two pilots for Canadian Airline Transit were detained on similar charges at the same Glasgow airport before their flight to Toronto. Um, These were not common occurrences. In the U.S., federal law requires pilots and air traffic controllers have a blood alcohol level no higher than 0.04% and have not consumed alcohol for at least eight hours before duty. For automobile drivers, states have legal limits of 0.08. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. Last year, only 10 pilots out of 12,000 had alcohol violations, according to the FAA, compared with 13 and 24, on and on. So let's just say here, though, let's go, we'll just like scoot on down. And then here it says Beyond regulation, unions have also substance abuse a priority. The largest pilots union, the Airline Pilots Association, has programs for, wait a second, is that the word we heard? Yeah, we heard it. It's called programs, programming. Here we go, guys. For members to recognize behavioral issues 
and provide help, support, and intervention before a problem enters the workplace. Well, if they were going to recognize a behavioral issue, then you wouldn't be sent to a cult from the 1930s where they're going to call it a disease, where you're told you're broken for life, and actually the pilot is going to head down a really serious, nasty road that's got a lot to do with, let's see, um, the HIMSS program, being extorted, being forced to go to a rehab that they don't want to go. I mean, it's bad what happens to pilots and nurses and doctors. So it says here, um, one group, the Birds of a Feather, has meetings for pilots modeled after Alcoholics Anonymous with chapters in the U.S., Europe, Canada, and the Middle East. Oh, great. They're even in the Middle East. Another organization formed by the FAA, Unions and Airlines, Human Intervention Motivation Study. Okay, like, who thought this name up? Human Intervention Motivation. It's not a study. If you want to just Google the contract, put that into Google. Human, H-I-M-S, then put in pilots, and then put in their contract that they have to sign. Nobody in their right mind would would go there willingly, and the pilots are actually forced there, or they lose their medical license, and they can't fly. Okay? It says it also serves as a substance abuse treatment program. It's not a treatment program. This is like a, a tailored to airline pilots. Oh, the group was formed when? Oh, back in the 1970s. Hmm. And it aims to help manage recovery from dependency. Yeah, right. The HEMS was founded upon the premise that pilots' susceptibility, whatever, susceptibility to alcohol dependence was no different from members of other professional groups. The organization says on its website, hmm. however, periodic binges rather than daily drinking were typical pilot drinking patterns. Yeah, because you're you're drug testing them. Well, my heart goes out to the pilots. I'm talking to a lot of you, and uh, we're going to just try to make some changes. So those are the two names of the societies. They have a big conference, and uh, maybe they need to be protested outside one of those conferences. The uh, What was it called again? The Airline Pilots Association. Yeah, I bet you got an AA member at the head of that one. Um, okay, so if uh, there's the Office of Alcoholism and Substance Abuse services where they talk about that you can't be, let me see, um, you must not require that a patient attend AA, um, you must not provide staff supervision of any AA meetings, must not compel the reading, listening, or the audio developed by AA. This is really interesting. So this is on oasas.newyork.gov about the role of AA in recovering, and this is relating to the Court of Appeals, and this is in New York State, so that's a legal document. Um, I've gotten some really long emails from people about sexual predation going on in AA clubhouses, and here's some news, some old and new. Man robbed of car at knife point after AA meeting. This was posted in August of 2016 in Harris County, Texas. A 42-year-old man has been charged with aggravated robbery with a deadly weapon for stealing a man's car after asking for a ride in Harris County on April 5th, according to the police. So, you know, this kind of thing is that, um, let's see, um, police said that Jose Luis Alvarez Bernal had been in an AA class. All right, so maybe we have to write to this reporter. 
it's not an AA class. First of all, there's no such thing. Well, maybe in rehab they call it AA class, right? But he's at an AA meeting. So not the public who doesn't know thinks that it's an AA class, that there's you know someone in charge and someone's teaching you. Oh, it's not happening. Okay, this is just an AA meeting. After the class, he asked another person from the class for a ride. Hmm. And they didn't give him a ride, so he pulled up, yeah, a gun. He and he, oh, great. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Here's another one. Um, this was from February 27, 2015. Jury finds California Detox Center liable for death of Missouri resident. Awards family over 10 million dollar in damages. An Orange County, California jury has awarded more than $10 million to the parents of a young man who died while in the care of a Newport Beach drug and alcohol detox center. Ted and Kim Jacks alleged in their wrongful death lawsuit that First House LLC was negligent in accepting 20-year-old Brandon Jacks as a client. Brandon had bulimia and First House was not licensed or equipped to handle people with eating disorders. Brandon died at First House April 2nd, 2011 from cardiac arrest caused by his electrolyte imbalances that resulted from his unabated binging and purging. This is really sad. That's really sad. Um, Drunk driver in fatal crash was headed to AA meeting, police said, Mm, August 5th, 2016. In Cottonwood Heights, police said a Salt Lake woman... Accused of hitting and killing a motorcyclist in Cottonwood Heights this week was driving drunk on her way to an AA meeting. Hmm. Let's see if she had previous DUIs. I don't know. Okay, how about this one? This was a really good one. Father Sam steps aside. This happened in, this is an old one, um, July 14th, 2010. The Interval Brotherhood Home. And this was, I think this was the one that happened in Ohio. Yeah, this is in Akron. Oh, yeah, the home place of AA, the, the, the founders in Akron. You have, a, you have a, a father, a father, priest stealing money. ADM, a taxpayer-supported agency, provides annual operating funding of $2.67 million this year to the nonprofit. The total budget for IBH this year is $4 million. We're confident that both the IBH Foundation and Interval Brother Home have good fiscal controls and obviously are thoroughly audited. Hmm. I think my friend uh, who lives in Ohio knows about these people. Um, You know, guys, this is... uh, Oh, yeah, the AA sponsor found Mary Kennedy's body. That was a really, really sad story. She committed suicide. In White Plains, New York, the Alcoholics Anonymous sponsor of Robert F. Kennedy Jr., estranged wife, found her body after she committed suicide. Oh, that was so, so sad. Um, they threatened to, you know, take her kids away unless she joined AA the way they all go to AA. So I'm here, 818-475-9211. I'm Monica Richardson. And, you know, it, it is, it's really bad out there with how infested AA is. And I guess I want to ask, you know, what can you do? What are you willing to do? Are you willing to contact um, reporters, Bloomberg and 60 Minutes and Frontline, and tell them your story and say, this is what happened to me, this is outrageous, 
Um, my film, The 13th Step, is available on Vimeo right now. You can rent it or you can buy it. And um, we have a caller on the line. So the way we're going to do the calls is you're going to just give me your name, and then we'll just talk for a minute or two. It's a short show, but I, I did want to take some calls. So we're going to take one right now. And if you swear at me, I'm hanging up. That's what happened a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> I forgot to just say no swearing on my show. I, only I can swear. Okay, that's it. All right, here we go. Hello, caller, you're live. Can I have your first name, please? Yeah, Monica, it's Laura. Hi, Laura. Hi. Hi, I'm not going to swear at you. Um, I did hear the show where the guy was swearing at you, though, and that was awful. So um, anyway, um, <laughs> I just wanted to call and, you know, say that um, – you know, you're doing a fabulous job with everything. Um, I couldn't, oh, I didn't you. hear the first part of the show or anything like that, but, um, you know, I've left AA. I'm in the process of leaving AA after eight and a half years of being in. And, um, you know, it's just a trip how much they messed with people's mind, how much they continue messing with people's mind. And, um, you know, so I really rely on a lot of the deprogramming stuff and the positive messages and the information. So that's why I'm calling in. And I know it's a short show. Um, if you want to talk it's more, okay. that's great. It's yeah, nice, we could talk you know. more. I'd love to ask you a question. So at this point, thank okay. you for calling in, first of all, Laura. And I, I know you're, you're realizing who you are um, from okay. the programming. And uh, I wanted yes. to say that if you are listening to the show, um, I have a deprogramming group. Uh, we do. And if you want to join it, you have to ask. And uh, But, yeah, so what do you find is the hardest part, or what was the hardest part about leaving, and what's helping you the most about with leaving? That's a long time to go for eight years. The hardest part about leaving? Yeah. The hardest part about leaving is that I feel like I have bonded with some people who are very, very nice, very sincere people um, who I now have grown to care about after nearly a decade of knowing them. Um, right. But they are still brainwashed to be part of that system, which I no longer want to be a part of. But that's what, you know, you hear that um, crab in the bucket analogy, yeah. That's what I feel like pulls me back is the people that I am so fond of. I don't want to cut them off out of my life, but then they're still there talking to me with the stepper philosophy. Um, mm-hmm. That's hard for me. So how do you deal with that? I mean, are you still friends with them? Are you seeing them, having coffee or hanging out or walking with them? or you know, <laughs> Like what's the... Because you don't go to meetings anymore, do you, or do you? Um, You know, I hadn't for a long time, and I recently went to one, um, and that was was pretty awful. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go here, and I'm not going to say anything, but then it got to be my turn to talk, and I said what was really on my mind, because the whole meeting was about how, there was a reading, and it was, like, about people are, how, oh, what was it? We're problem people. We are problem people. So oh, then people God. are going around the room talking about every single person was saying, I'm stupid. I can't figure stuff out for myself. AA taught yeah. me how to think. And then it got around to me, and I said, I have a problem with that. I don't like that. We're not stupid. I'm, mm-hmm. not, I'm very happy that I can think. 
And right. then people came up, well, we haven't seen you in a while. We're so glad you're here. Are you okay? And look at, you know, like, did you drink? Are you okay? And I was like, <laughs> shoot, you know, why did I come here? You right. know, but but it's not as easy to leave as I thought it was going to be. I, I think I went maybe three, four months without going to a meeting, but then I thought, well, maybe I want to go see my these nice people that are my friends. Because some of them called me a little bit here and there, and I'd go have coffee or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it does. Uh, it's it has a, it's it's a tough thing, you know. Um, and I hate to admit that they got me. You know, I didn't want to. I never would have pegged myself as someone who could have gotten brainwashed, brainwashed or messed with on that level. It, you know, and I'm having a hard time with leaving, really, to be quite honest yeah. about it. Right. You know, why not? I mean, this was said. Uh, I, I left, and then my husband left after me. Like, what? I think it's interesting. Why not just call? You know a particular person that you liked the most and go to lunch or go to coffee, right, instead of why do you got to go to the meeting to see them? And, you know, when my, and I was going to say, I want you to answer that for me if you would, because then my husband would say, they would, instead of the guys calling him and saying, like, let's go and hang out or let's go, it was like, oh, why don't you come to the meeting? Like, you know, you can't, what, you can't interact like a you know, normal person, what normal people do, which is you'd go for a walk along the beach or you'd meet for lunch or you'd meet for a coffee, right, or normal people meet for a drink or or either, right, if they don't drink. But why right. don't you ask them, because you're going to see who really is your friend, to do something not in a meeting. Right. Yeah, that's, that's what, that makes a lot of sense. And, and, you know, I have done that here and there, and it was an old sponsor. I was having coffee with her that invited me to come back to the meetings, which is what led me to go there. So, but I hear you because if I stood firm and was just like, hey, yeah, let's just have coffee, I'm not going there, then either she would continue to be my friend or she would fade away. I can totally see the logic of it. Right. I mean, I had serious health issues like the year after I left, and I called my the last sponsor I had, who was a really nice woman. And, you know, she was one of the few. I met her for lunch, came to see my movie. And, you know, she, it was like I realized with her there was a friendship. There was really a friendship there. And she then said to me, I never believed in I was powerless either. I'm not really an alcoholic. And I was like, what? What did you just say to me? I was like, What? And she's like, yeah, I really didn't have a problem with alcohol. It was more with pot. I just used to, And I was like, wow. Like, you know, do you think you know a person? But you really don't, so you leave AA. And then, but, but there are people. Now I'm gone five years, and there's some people calling me, and I'm actually going to call them back and go have lunch with them because I'm really strong now. But, you know, it's yeah. five years later. Like, I didn't, really didn't want to see a lot of people at first, but you do. So I, I would actually suggest the people that you really feel, because like I just said, the one, she's not weird. You know what I mean? And we were able right. to, even though she believes some things that I don't anymore, I'm, a, I'm a, allowed, I mean, I'm able to say, yeah, well, I don't believe that anymore, and this is why. Yeah. Right? Mm. And, and they, like, but it's, um, the other thing is you sound really young. Um, are, you, are you really young? Are you in your 20s? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm in the late 30s now. But okay. I've been, but, yeah, but I've been around it a long time. Don't you have friends, and this is what happened to my husband, he had friends from college who were all here in L.A. that he had kind of, you know, 
spent not a lot of time with, and we are so close to them now. Do you have friends that were pre-AA? Okay, yeah. You know, that were good people, that they might be, most of them, are they're all like these really lightweight, moderate drinkers. None of them are problematic, mm-hmm. you know, and we spent a lot of time. These were his college friends. And um, so do you have any of those that you could kind of make? Well, you don't need a lot of friends, right? The truth is that illusion in AA is that we need, oh, we need a whole group. of They're not really your friends. They're all acquaintances, right? Some right. of them are real yeah. strangers, Who has, right? Yeah. yeah, who has 50 best, best friends? Well, that's what I realized at the meeting today. There was this guy, right? I've been giving him a hug for almost nine years, right? And he comes up. And he wants to, like, hug me after the meeting. And I stuck my hand out. And he stuck my hand out and just shook his hand really firm. And, you know, it dawned on me, yeah, I got in the habit of letting this man hug me, but I don't know him at all. Right. You know, and that's that's AA. That's that's what happens. It's like this false intimacy. Yeah. Right. So I probably only really have one or two, three friends out of AA anyway. Well, you might be really analyze it. Yes, yes. I mean, there could it is possible. Like, if I knew fifty women and I sponsored, you know, a significant amount at a certain time, I developed real friendships with them because I wasn't talking AA to them. You know, in the the end, my last fifteen years, I shared what I learned in therapy, what I learned in other books, what I learned when I studied feng shui. Mm -hmm. What I, I mean, you know, we're talking no AA talk, right? Uh, Right. But. 98%, so those relationships were based on something else. But, you know, we'll see, because I'm going to meet up with them. At least there's three of them who called me recently, and there's somebody who just came in my life. She stayed at my house. You know, I was her sponsor. And she's like, yeah, I know, I don't care. I don't care that you drink Monica. I don't care. None of it matters. I love you, Monica. Yeah. You know? That's cool. So, yeah, yeah. There are decent people. We 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 are decent people, and we left. So why can't there be some decent people behind us that are still there? <laughs> you know? Right. That's true. That's true. I, mean, I, know I, hate <laughs> it. I hate it. You know, I can't stand like. But I received so many emails and talked to people and interviewed people that I'm. You know, it's really hard because I heard a lot of trauma, way more than I have experienced in AA. You know. Hmm. But I think yeah. that you know, you're, you know, you're, I think it's good. You know, I think there's a, there's actually quite a lot of you that go back after three or four months and you kind of say your truth. And uh, good for you to do and see your re- the reaction. And you might there might be somebody there that goes, yeah, you know, what? Yeah, she's really right. <laughs> right. Yeah. That that could be. That could be. Yeah. Well, because you know, I know along the way for me there were people who spoke their truth in the rooms, and and I reflect back on it now. You know, the one guy was an atheist, and he would just rail against the big book in the meetings, you know. And, um, you you know, and that was was cool because, you know, but I I don't know why, you know, that he cared to go ahead and stay and continue doing that. But I would listen to him, and I would think, wow, he's got a point you know, all all that time that I was pretty brainwashed through it. But then, you know, that kind of led me to Google some stuff and look up, you know, Bill W. doing LSD and his unauthorized right. biography, which eventually helped me to kind of see the truth of the whole thing. So, 
yeah, but I think for me it's probably dangerous to keep, you know, there's a part of me that wants to be like one of those people that goes back to the rooms and like helps wake people up so that they can get out too, but I I don't think that's going to work out very well for me. Well, if you I know, try no, to do that. Right, it might well, it depends on your psyche. You know, like how you feel when you do it and you don't do it like because of the film, I did go back to different places around the country with people who were victimized. And I mm-hmm. talked when I felt like I did. I mean, it was, you know, a pretty interesting balance for me to talk because I wasn't going to lie. But, I I mean, there were some times where I went here in L.A. where I think L.A. was one of the hardest places to go because it was really gross, like the West Side meetings. And the women's meetings okay. that I took a journalist to that were out, like east, east of Los Angeles, maybe like uh, 45 minutes, they went crazy. When we wouldn't stand, we, when we wouldn't stand up and hold hands to say the Lord's okay. prayer. I mean, I would have loved to film that and put it on YouTube to see what this woman, how she talked to me, and you know, it was just like, really, you're open-minded? No, you're not. Like, we're not going to stand and hold hands and say the prayer with you. Wow. wow. And I did that with my son in a local meeting, you know, and they they kicked my assistant in the back because she wouldn't stand up. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, there are, like, when I left, I went and said a lot of stuff, and there were a lot of young women who came up and said, what is that thing? What is smart? What is that thing you talked about that you went to? Because I went to smart meetings to see what they were in, like, my last six months in AA. And I planned my mm-hmm. leaving, so I knew I was going to leave the whole time. So I was, like, kind of unraveling right in there, like, unraveling sober, because I was still abstinent then. But I was like, you know... I said whatever I wanted, and then I was like, I'm not ever coming back here, and this is why. And it felt Uh really good. Not everybody wants to do that, but for me, I had to do it. And when I would go to other meetings, I would talk about other programs. Oh, they didn't like what I had to say at all. You know, but I don't care. I know other people do it, but, you know, I don't want to go there now at all. Like, you know what I mean? I just want to stand outside and protest. I don't want to go inside a meeting at at this very moment, you know, (laughs) but... You know, you sound like, you know, I would just kind of, you know, it's like listen to your own, you have a critical mind, you have your own voice, Mm -hmm. and that I did reach out to some people, and it was really only one or two where there was a relationship left, and then, um, yeah, you know, years later now, there's people calling me, and I'm going to call them back and go meet with them, because I have a lot to say to them. I want to say... A lot of stuff that I, I was your sponsor, and this is bullshit. You know, this is right. absolute bullshit. And that the people who drank again, there was one girl who was always like drinking every four or five. Well, big fucking deal, you know, that you drank right. you know, a six pack every five years. Right, right. Yeah, big deal. What's, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, um, so, yeah. But yeah. anyway, I'm glad you called in. I'm going to see if yeah. this, I will. I really, it's nice to talk to you, Laura, and um, I'll see yeah. you on the social media, and maybe you'll call in again, and, and good luck with what All you're right. doing. Yeah, okay. thank you, Monica. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye, Laura, thanks. All right, there we have Laura calling in NAA for eight years, and left and leaving and um, figuring it out. And everybody's different, you know, everybody gets to do it different. And in the beginning, I used to think, oh, you know, it's going to take a year to deprogram. And, you know, why? It's a, everybody's different. 
So, uh, but I do think it takes time, and it depends on how brainwashed you are. Some people never really bought into the big book. Like I went to big book studies and like underlined and highlighted. Oh, it was so ridiculous. But it is, you know, here we are now. There's two minutes left. I don't think I really have time for. And I'm only doing a 30-minute show today. Uh, I'm going to start to have guests again soon, whether it's next week or the week after. I'm going to have some guests. Uh, I want to thank everybody for your support and uh, that if you have any questions about what you can do in your city, in your town, please feel free to reach out to me on Facebook, Monica Richardson, or makeaasafer at gmail.com. If you have a place where you think you could screen the movie or you would like a bus ad or you have, there's a place where we could put an ad um, for not being forced to go to AA when you get a DUI, please privately email me or PM me. And just know that, you know, it is, uh, I'm not going to say it is what it is because it feels like that's set in rooms now, but that uh, it takes, the time it takes for each of us Um, Rachel Bernstein is a great professional deprogrammer. Um, If you, she Skypes and does phone sessions. She actually works with, um, you know, people who have been in a cult. And I think on CNN is a movie about a a yoga cult in California that looks pretty fascinating. I watched the interview with the um, director on YouTube. It was really, I mean, I want to see it. They sound a lot like people who leave AA. But unfortunately, you know, anyway, we're going to just stay positive. The 13 Septa film is available on Vimeo to rent or buy. I want to thank everybody for joining me today uh, for Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. Again, I'm Monica Richardson. And please uh, tell your friends that uh, you're okay and you don't need AA if that's where you're at. And if you're figuring out how to leave, then I would suggest you go on to Smart Recovery and to harm reduction web pages, and um, figure out how you want how you want to leave, and then plan your escape. Okay. Again, good night, and I'll see you all next week. Bye bye.